So if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, you can click to or turn to uh, with me, uh, Psalm, Psalm 57. And this is actually a psalm, uh, a sermon that I have been writing for like the past five years. In fact, is I don't know, I don't know if I'd still be here uh, with, without this psalm and how this psalm is ministered to me with some of the things that we've walked through the last five years. And so um, if you don't have a Bible or if you don't have an electronic device where you can pull it up, no worries. Uh, the, the words are going to come up on the screen. We're going to go all the way through this psalm. I've entitled this psalm, Treasures in the Dark. And um, when, you look at, when you look at the psalms, you realize the psalms give us a prayer language. The psalms help us understand how to pray, how to relate to God. Uh, when you look at this, you can, you can realize uh, that, that when you look at the psalms, it, helps us, it gives us a better idea of who God is, how to pray to him, how to, how to relate to him, how to talk to him, if you will. The fact is, Andrew Murray said this, some people pray just to pray, and some people pray to know God. And so that was who David was. And David has written this psalm. David was said to be a man after God's own heart. And when David prayed, David, did, David just didn't pray to pray. David prayed to know God. And so when you look at the psalms, the psalms helps us, give us a prayer language. It helps us to understand who God is. It helps us to get to know him. And when you look at David, especially this psalm, this is an interesting psalm, but it helps us understand the character of God and the nature of God. And, and so just a little bit about psalms, just, just real quick. There's 150 psalms. 73 of them have been written by David. 14 of those 73 are, are purposeful, are instruments in, in growing us deeper in him. 14 of them, that, of the 73 that David wrote, there's always a little bit of context or a little bit of things behind the scenes about what's going on, that David was doing this or he was struggling in this area or he had fear in this area. And it gives us some context. Now listen, here's an interesting thing about Psalm 57 that if you were to pick up like a Hebrew Bible, Psalm 57 would have 12 verses in it. Now, the English version, the Bible that we have, has 11 verses. And let me explain why that is. Because with the English Bible, what we see is like a subtitle. Like when you look at Psalms right and it says Psalm 57 and it gives you a description, a subtitle, what's going on. In the Hebrew Bible, they would count that as a verse. It was that important to them. It had that much important information. Now listen, when we translate it out to scriptures, we just use it as a subtitle or descriptor of what was going on. I, I very rarely do this, but I want to read to you in the Hebrew, well, it's in your Bible too, um, verse 1 in the Hebrew Bible, the subtitle in the English Bible, and here's what it says before Psalm 57, because to understand Psalm 57, you have to understand this, and so watch this. It says, for the choir director, do not destroy... A mictum of David when he fled before Saul into the cave. And so all of these things in that subtitle, that descriptor, are important. I mean, when you look at it, you realize it's for the, for the choir director. Now, we don't... Uh, Honestly, we don't know what that means. We know it probably means some type of a melody, but it means, but it's to the melody of what? Of do not destroy. I mean, that is interesting. I mean, it doesn't sound like a very light psalm to me, right? If you're going to sing it to the melody of do not destroy, it doesn't seem very light. And you may would ask your, yourself a question, well, who would want to sing a song like that? So you have to understand this song was written in the dark. 
This song was written in the dark of a cave in Engedi. In fact, is you can actually hike in. It's a 40-minute hike. Uh, it's one of my dreams to get into this cave. We drive past it every time, and we look at it. We point at the caves that, that David you know, hid from Saul in and some of those other things. And you can actually go to, go to this cave. And so when you look at this, you realize that this psalm of David was written in the dark. Isaiah 45, 3 tells us this. It says, I will give you the treasures of darkness and riches from secret places so that you may know that I am the Lord. I am the God of Israel who calls you uh, by your name. And so Isaiah said this and David said this, that when you, you and I walk through difficult times, when we walk through dark times, God still gives us treasures in the dark treasures in the secret places. You have to be willing to look for them. Listen, when you go into, through dark times of your life or difficult times in your life, you have to be willing to look for the treasures in the darkness. They're, they're there. And so if you're walking through a dark time in your life, I want you to know God has a treasure for you and God has a treasure for you every day so that you know what this says, so that you know that he is God and so that you know that he is with you. Now listen, you may be familiar with the story of David and, and Saul, but I just, I just want to bring us all up to date so we understand the context of what's happening here. When you look at the story of David and Saul, uh, Saul was an anointed and, and, and made king first. It was in a time when the nation of Israel, they, they wanted a king. And God wasn't ready to give them a king, but they, they wanted a king. And so the prophet Samuel, who had a clean record, I mean, you cannot find a blemish on Samuel's, Samuel's life or his record. And so Samuel is praying before the Lord, and he's really bothered by that because they wanted a king. And, and God told him, Samuel, don't worry. Even though you've told them no and the time is not right, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And so God tells Samuel, says, Samuel, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give them a king. And I'm going to give them exactly what they want. And so he gives them Saul. Saul was handsome. He was athletic. He had charisma. But the problem was is Saul was from the wrong tribe. Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin, not from the tribe of Judah. And then we, we fast forward a little bit forward in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Samuel anoints uh, David to be king. And he was the youngest son of Jesse. And David was the opposite of Saul. David was a man after God's own heart. David was not arrogant. David was humble. And he was dependent upon God, and he walked with God. And so David, as a teenager, was, was anointed as king, even though he wasn't going to sit on the throne for many years. And so Saul is king, but David has been anointed as king. And then remember the story when David goes to the battle line and he defeats Goliath, and, and then all of a sudden his popularity grew, and, and all of a sudden like he, he's trending on, on social media, and he has more followers on Facebook than Saul, and he has more followers on Instagram and Twitter, and his, his social media footprint is like really large. And then Saul gets jealous. And Saul was jealous, and because of that, Saul became angry. Some people believe that the reason that Saul asked David to wear his armor into the battle with Goliath is because Saul wanted everybody to think he was the one that took Goliath's life. Because, see, that mattered to Saul. And you know the story. The, the, the armor didn't fit David, so he took it off, and he used a bunch of rocks and a slingshot, and he slew Goliath, and, and now Saul is, like, jealous. And so Saul begins trying to destroy Samuel or, or David, and he tries to kill him. And so you, when you look at 1 Samuel chapter 21, 23, 24, and 25, David is like running for his life. Fact is, the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verses 1 through 22, about David hiding in the caves of En Gedi. And these caves were massive. I mean, these caves are like, you, you could fit our whole church in one of those caves. I mean, these caves are massive. 
And then Saul was chasing after David, and Saul was looking for David and, and, and going cave to cave. And then the time came that, that um, Saul needed to go to the bathroom. And so Saul wandered into this cave where David and his men were hiding. And the men realized it. And the men whispered to David in the back of the cave. They said, listen, maybe God has delivered Saul into your hands. Maybe he's delivered your enemy into your hands. And maybe you should just sneak up. And maybe you should be willing just to take, your life, take his life. I mean, this, this is your chance. I mean, maybe God's given him to you, and this is your chance. You, can just, you could just end, the, end this whole mess, end this whole running from, 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 from him. And David, in, in my opinion, did something just amazing. He snuck up, and this is in Scripture, he snuck up when Saul was going to the bathroom. And maybe he was reading the Jerusalem Times at the time, or I don't know. Maybe too much information. I get it. And the scripture says that, that David cut off the edge of his robe. And he waited for Saul to leave, and he waited for Saul to get down the mountain. And David stepped out and said, Saul, I did not take your life. I could have. I still see you as anointed king. Why are you doing this? Man, when you look at this, you realize that David trusted God even in the midst of this, even with his enemies, the Spirit of God had left Saul because of his disobedience, and Samuel the prophet had anointed David to become king. And, and here, here's what I want you to see about David's life. David walked with integrity, and he trusted God. David knew it wasn't up to him, and it wasn't, wasn't for him to take Saul's life. He trusted God. He trusted the sovereignty of God. He trusted God's plan. Even though Saul was doing everything he could to kill him or to make his life difficult or make his life miserable, he did not take matters into his own hands. David was this guy that when he prayed, didn't pray to pray. He prayed to know God. He wanted to, he wanted to know him. And somewhere in the midst of this, in one of these caves, David writes... Psalm 57. Now, he calls it a, a mictum prayer or a mictum psalm. There's only, there's only six mictum psalms in the book of Psalms. All of them are attributed to, to David. And to be honest, when the translators were translating Hebrew to English and they got to this word mictum, they didn't know how to translate it to English, so they just left the Hebrew word in the Bible. And there's some scholars and some theologians that believe it just means gold. It's just a, it's just a golden psalm. There's others that mean it means to cover because it was in the dark. There's others that mean it means to atonement. But there's only six times you can find a mictum psalm in the book of, of the Psalms. And it's always, when you look at the description, it's always talking about a difficult time. It's always talking about a stressful time. It's always talking about someone, David, going through a really hard time in his life. All of them talking about hiding and hiding from enemies and dealing with enemies. And imagine David, if you would, just with me for a moment, that is in the, in the back of the cave in the dark. And he's scribbling out this prayer. He's scribbling out this psalm. 1 Samuel chapter 24 simply tells us that, that Saul is, is, is right in front of him. 
In a moment, the security of the cave could have become like, like a trap. And what is he covering? He may be covering his mouth. Mictum may literally mean to cover one's lips because guess what? I am in such a difficult situation. I am in such a, a difficult setting that I cannot even speak aloud. And this psalm was written when David was fleeing from Saul. This psalm was written in the dark. So I, I would like to just read this psalm in its entirety. And then as I normally do, I have three things for you after that. And this psalm was written in the dark. And maybe it would help you because it was written in the dark just to hear it in the dark. And maybe it would just help you to close your eyes. And maybe you're going through a situation, maybe you're going through circumstances right now that God's going to speak right into that for you. So if it helps, you can close your eyes and let me read it, the 11 verses. It says, be gracious to me, God be gracious to me, for I take refuge in you. I will seek refuge in the shadow of your wings until danger passes. I call to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He reaches down from heaven and saves me. Challenging the one who tramples me. God sends his faithful love and truth. I am surrounded by lions. I lie down among devouring lions. People whose teeth are, in, are spears and arrows. Whose tongues are sharp swords. God be exalted above the heavens. Let your glory be over the whole earth. They prepare a net for my steps. I was despondent. They dug a pit ahead of me. But they fell into it. My heart is confident, God. My heart is confident. I will sing. I will sing your praises. Wake up, my soul. Wake up, harp and lyre. I will wake up the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your faithful love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches the clouds. God, be exalted above the heavens. Let your glory be over the whole earth. When you look at this, you realize this is a unique psalm, and it's a psalm that is written in the dark. It's a psalm that is written in a dangerous situation. It's a psalm that is written for people that are walking through dark times, walking through difficult, wondering what's going to happen tomorrow, wondering how this situation is going to unfold. And so I just have three principles for you tonight. And the first one is this. You just got to understand. The first one is this. God is my refuge. And God is my refuge. Verse 1, again, I'll just read it. It says, be gracious to me, God. Be gracious to me, for I take refuge in you. I will seek refuge in the shadow of your wings until danger passes. And so I just, I just need to point this out to you because, well, let me just point this out to you. God is, what he says, God is our refuge, not the cave. God is your refuge, not your situation. I mean, when you look at this, I'm just, I'm shocked. David is like running from Saul, and Saul's trying to kill him. And he's, he's hiding in a cave, and Saul doesn't see him. I would think David would say, my refuge is the cave. My refuge is a situation. My refuge is a circumstance. My, the cave protected me. The cave hid me from Saul. Good thing I was in the cave. But that's not what David says. You know what David says? The cave's not my refuge. Guess who my refuge is? God is my refuge. Your refuge, I'm just telling you, your refuge is not your situation. It's not your circumstances. Your refuge, when you understand this, your refuge is, the, is God. 
See, the reason a lot of us, and, I, and I've been there, the reason a lot of us struggle when we go through dark times and we go through challenging times, we have believed that our refuge is something other than God. Our refuge is our situation. Our refuge is our circumstance. Our refuge is our job. Our refuge is a relationship. Our refuge is our income. Our refuge is a, is, is a retirement. Our refuge is economy. What happens when you lose all that? What happens when that wavers? See, David understood this. David understood that, guess what? The cave did not protect me. You know who protected David? God. And David's coming to the place. I mean, this, when you look at David and you look at the passion that this man had for God, and you start reading the Psalms, I'm telling you, without the Psalms, over these last five years with some of the things we face personally as a family and some of those things, I'm telling you, I have worn the Psalms out. The Psalms have taught me to pray. The Psalms have taught me to relate to God. The Psalms have taught me not just to pray to pray, but to pray to know God. To pray to know the heart of God. And that's what David is saying. See, the dangerous thing is you and I have to ask and answer is where do you find your refuge? Where's your refuge? Is it in something else? Or is it, or is it in God? Because many times, listen, many times when we go through difficulty... We put our confidence in our circumstances, but not David. See, this is a dangerous mistake. David could have said, you know what? The rock of the cave is my refuge. Thank God for the cave. David says, God is my refuge. I take refuge in him, which means that's something you and I have to, we, we have to willingly do. I mean, when you look at that word take, that's, a, that's an aggressive term. That's a word that I, I, I got to take it. I, and we'll talk about that. That's why he says, for I take refuge in, in you. I'm just telling you tonight, the security of the cave must never be mistaken for the sanctuary of God. God is your refuge. God is your refuge. And if we're not careful, we'll make our refuge something else. And that's why we struggle. Second thing is this, is God is our refuge. The second thing that David, David just fleshed out is God is faithful. And God is faithful. David knew that God was his refuge, but he also knew that God was faithful. Verse 2. I call to, to, to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. Fulfills, it's interesting. He understood he was sovereign, but fulfill in this text, in the Hebrew word fulfill, means to take revenge. It's the, it's, the, it's the context of justice. Now listen, a lot of us, including myself, we have a high justice meter, right? I mean, when you look at David, you just realize what, David could say, what did I do wrong? I mean, I was out tending sheep. They said the prophet Samuel was at the house and I was supposed to go back to the house and the next thing I know they dump oil on my head and anoint me the next king of uh, the next king. I mean, I, I was minding my own business. I, my mom sends me down to the battlefield with Goliath and I heard Goliath like taunting the, the armies of God and I got angry and so guess what? I went out, I slew, I killed him. I, I took care of it. I killed him. I mean, what did I do wrong? I mean, what did I do wrong? Why, why is this man seeking my life? Why am I hiding from this man? Why, why am, I mean, this just seems unjust. See, a lot of us, we have a high justice meter, right? 
And if we have a high justice meter, sometimes we can get offended. And so David could have said, you know, why am I going through this? But David says, you know what? God is the one who fulfills his purpose for me. God is the one that's going to take revenge. God is the one that's going to solve this with Saul. David knew it wasn't up to him to take Saul's life, that God would rectify that, verse 3. So he reaches down, speaking to God, he reaches down from heaven and saves me. Just real quickly, we don't even have time to flesh this out. A re- Christianity, a relationship with God, is when God reaches down to us. Religion is when we try to reach up to him. Rules and regulation and rituals and all those where we're just trying to we're just trying to we're just trying what we're just trying to make our way to God. Christianity, relationship with Him, is He reaches down. I, I I could go through so many scriptures and show you this and and but we need to move on. So verse three, He reaches down from heaven and saves me, challenging the one. So God is my defender. God is the one that takes care of this. Challenging the one who tramples me. God sends his faithful love and truth. When you look at that word in the Hebrew, you know what that means? Sin means that God will dispatch his kingdom power into my situation. That's how much David believed in God. God is my refuge. God is faithful. And if I will obediently follow him, guess what? He will send from heaven kingdom of God principles, he will send from heaven his power and his power into my, into my situation, in my circumstance. And then he uses the word hased. Hased is a Hebrew word, H-E-S-S-E-D. We translate that out to faithful, faithful love. He said his faithful love and truth. This word hased is only used of God. It's a love that is so strong that only God can have this type of love for us. It's an unfailing love. It's an unfailing love. It's, it's kindness. It's goodness. It's the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It's related to faithfulness. It's related to faithfulness of his covenant, that his love for you is based upon his character and not on, on you, that he is faithful even when we're not faithful. And when you look at this, you realize it means to take refuge in. I mean, it's this covenantal love. It's a powerful word. And when you look at this, you realize when you start reading verses 4 through 6, it's like, oh, my word. It's like, is David, is David ADD or what? I mean, it's like you look, at this, you look at this train of thought, and verse 4 and 6 match up, but verse 5 is like in the middle of that, and it's like a detour, but it's really not. But look at this. I mean, I mean you, you, let's just read it. Verse 4, it says, David's writing, he says, I'm surrounded by lions. I lie down among devouring lions, people whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. And then all of a sudden it takes a detour. God be exalted above the heavens. Let your glory be over the whole earth. And then back to the story. Verse 6, they prepared a net for my steps. I was despondent. They dug a pit ahead of me, but they fell into it. So why verse 5? I mean, why verse 5? I mean, verse 4 and 6, he's talking about how he's being mistreated. And then sandwiched in there, he begins talking about the goodness of God. And God, be, it's, like, it's like worship. I mean, what, what does fear and anxiety say to your heart? I mean, because you, you see this in verse 4 and 6. David has a little bit of fear. He has a little bit of anxiety. Anger says... 
a person owes me. So when you're angry at someone, anger, that's all anger says, somebody owes me. Somebody's going to have to pay up. Jealousy and envy says, God owes me. Jealousy and envy says, you know what? God owes me. God's not taking care of me. He's blessing somebody else and not me. He's taking care of them. He's not taking care of me. And then fear says, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to end. I don't know how God's going to take care of this. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what he's going to say. I don't know what she's going to say. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know what she's going to do. I don't know how we're going to make it through it. I don't know how God's going to take care of this. I don't know if they're going to call me back. I don't know if I'm going to lose. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Listen you, say, listen, you say I don't know enough. Anxiety will continue to raise in your life. You say, I, you say I don't know over and over and over. Fear and anxiety will raise and your stress level will raise. The most dangerous thing that you and I can do in our life are the stories we tell ourselves. The stories you rehearse over and over and over in your mind. Stories are powerful. And the most dangerous thing I can do, the most dangerous thing you can do, is the story you tell yourself. I know why they said that. I know why they did that. I know, what, I know, I know what's going on. I know how this is going to end. And it's probably not going to end well. And that story, listen, that story about another person, a situation... If it goes unchecked without interjecting truth into it, is one of the most dangerous things we can do. Because we're built, we're built to figure things out. And I just need you to know, because I've learned this in my life, I don't know as a thief. And fear is a thief. And it will steal your peace, it will steal your contentment, it will steal your joy. I just, thief is a, fear is a prison. So why, why verse 5? Because David understood in the midst of his fear, in the midst of his anxiety, worship draws him close to the heart of God. Worship is what speaks truth into that story you're telling yourself. Worship is what challenges that story that you're saying, I don't know, or you have fear, or you have envy, or you have jealousy. That's why David said, faithful love has said in truth. Because sometimes we got to confront that story we're telling ourselves. If we try to, and maybe four and six, David was trying to figure it out on his own. Because if we try to, listen, if we try to figure it out on our own, it'll never work. The pain of loss and the pain of suffering, the pain of overwhelming pressure of I don't know, can be difficult for all of us. And David, David came to the place in the middle of four and six and said, the only thing I know to do is draw near to the one who knows all things. What a great response of worship. Because what I've learned, I've learned it in the dark. And I've learned it in the dark times of my life. That when you're telling yourself stories over and over that, that bring fear and anxiety, 
we have to force truth into our lives. And we have to force truth into that situation. Because the truth is, is I can know somebody loves me but still feel unloved, right? And so that's why we have to come to the place and we have to believe that God is our refuge. And you have to make, that's what, that's what David was saying. He says, I, I'm going to make you my refuge. When you look at this, you realize that David was in a dark place, and all of a sudden he started worshiping. Second Samuel chapter 22, David writes out of this experience a, a worship song. You read it for yourself. And David starts giving names to God. He, he's my protector. He's my defender. He's my fortress. I mean, you, you, just, you just see this. He's my rock. He's my savior. He's my, my shield. And the last thing is this, is worship draws me close to God. And this is David lived this out. When listen, when anxiety comes, when fear comes, when God makes you wait for an answer, when the answer doesn't come, when you don't get that call, when you don't get that email, when you don't get that text or that response that you want, when anxiety rolls into your life like a wave, when anxiety rolls into your life like a fog, you have to develop muscle memory. God is my refuge. I will make God my refuge. And the only way I know to do that is by worship. That's the only way I know to do that, by drawing close to him. And worship is so important because it confronts some false beliefs or some stories that we've been telling ourselves. And it interjects truth. It reminds us that he is faithful. It reminds us that he is our, our rock and our savior and our redeemer. He goes before us and behind us. In verse 7, you just see David just breaks out and he says, My heart is confident, God. My heart is confident. I will sing. I will sing praises. You know what that is? That's compounding language. You know why that's compounding language? Because he's trying to get fear out of his life. He's trying to get anxiety out of his life. He's just reminding himself that in the, in the Hebrew language, compounding language is trying to get, it's, 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 it's like we would be screaming. It's emphasizing something. And he goes, verse 8, wake up, my soul, wake up, harp and lyre. I will wake up the dawn. You know what he's saying? I start every day with worship. I start every day with scripture. I start every day with him. And then he goes on and says, I will praise, praise you, Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your faithful love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches the clouds. God be exalted above the heavens. Let your glory be over the whole earth. And now all of a sudden he ends this psalm. He starts this psalm out and he ends this psalm with God's faithful love. Hesed. With his faithful love. I'm telling you, the only way through the dark, through, through God's children... We worship through the dark. I will give you treasures in the darkness. I will give you treasures in secret places. Why? So that you will know. So that you know me. So that you know that I love you. And we, listen, we shout truth in the light so we can stand on it in the dark. 
that in the light and in good times and celebrations and things like this, that we sing in the light the truth of Him so that we're willing. It's just muscle memory so we can stand out in the dark. One of the most repeated commands of Scripture, do not be afraid. And I am so thankful that when I have fear and you have fear, that God doesn't judge us. He comes to us and says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And this is why. And if you're struggling with something and you do not understand, and you're carrying some fear, the only way through it is to worship through it. He don't want you to live there. I'm going to close with this story, and it happened this week, and it was just a reminder of his sad. It was just a reminder of, of his faithful love. And I did a, I did a business meeting on, on our, the future property, and we have a subdivision to sell off. And that well, once that sells, then it helps us move forward with the land. And some guys are really interested in it. And so I had a meeting with them. It was just a business meeting. And so I had a meeting with them, and the meeting had ended, and it was just me and another guy. This guy's from, he lives in Denver, doesn't go to our church, and so he lives in Denver. And so he, he just looked across the table at me and said, hey, I'm a believer, and started telling me about how he lives out his faith. And so we connected, and we're talking, and, you know, and missions, and he's going to start, you know, they foster parents and some other things. And then he just made this statement. He just looked at me. It's just odd. And he just looked at me. He said, hey, he said, I got this, I got this, I got this wheelchair ramp. And I need to figure out someone to bless with it. Do you, do you know anybody needs a wheelchair ramp at their home? And I'm like, no. And he goes, well, I, I think you should help me find somebody. And I'm like, well, I, I don't even know. I don't even know anyone. But I will. He goes, well, you do that. And so we left. The next morning, I had another meeting. That meeting had ended. And this guy looked at me, and he said, Hey, I need to let you know, uh, we're going to bring my, nine, my 95-year-old grandmother is going to come and live with us. And she's going to come pretty quickly, like next Tuesday. And we're trying, to get, we're trying to get everything ready for her. He said, but you know what I really need? I need a wheelchair ramp. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, I need a wheelchair. I don't even know where to get one. I go, and I'm... I'm texting the guy in, in, in Denver. I go, hang on, I got one. He's like, what? I go, I got one. He goes, no. I go, I got, I got one. I got one. Within 24 hours, they dismantled that wheelchair ramp in Denver. They drove it to his house, and they set it up at his house. Way before Tuesday. Way before grandmother comes. said God will give I'm telling you God will give you treasures in the dark treasures in secret places if you will look for them the only way the only way we make it through the dark we worship we know that God is our, our refuge that God is faithful he knows our name he knows our needs and guess what? He is our refuge, not our situation. And just like he did with this individual with a wheelchair ramp, he can do stuff like that for you. Trust him. Trust him. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?